Chapter Two of The Life of Jesse Harding Pomeroy by E. Luscombe Haskell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two An Account of the Discovery of the Body of the Murdered Millen Boy. To furnish accurate information relative to the discovery of the body of the murdered Millen Boy, for the commission of which crime Pomeroy was arrested, tried, and convicted, and to show the intense feeling of the public, I have taken an account of it from the Boston Globe of Thursday, April 23, 1874. The reporter, it appears, was very careful in the presentation of the important facts. The recital of the story of the crime of nearly twenty years ago thrills the blood and arouses feelings of indignation. The reporter's story follows. A murder which considered in view of all its horrible attending circumstances perhaps surpasses in cold-blooded atrocity any deed of its nature ever recorded came to light yesterday afternoon at five o'clock by the discovery of the body of the victim on the beach of Dorchester Bay midway between south boston and savin hill the murdered person was a boy four and a half years old named horace h millen whose father resides at two fifty three dorchester street the first intimation which the authorities had of the affair was when a deaf-mute boy of about fourteen years came up to officer lyons of station nine drawing his hand across his throat and mysteriously pointing in the direction of the place mentioned. The officer hardly knew what to make of the boy's motions, but finally concluded to follow him, and presently came upon the explanation, a corpse of a then unknown child lying within a circle of stones piled up for a clambake. The throat was cut from ear to ear, an ugly stab had completely put out the left eye, a deep wound had completely severed the jugular vein, and subsequent investigation exposed the horrible fact that eighteen stabs, forming a circle of about three inches diameter, about the breast, had been made with some instrument like an awl, or a remarkably slender knife-blade, and that with a view to severing an artery, a stab had been inflicted, penetrating the groin to a considerable depth. The deaf-mute had been playing about the swamp and beach, and having discovered the body, had hastened to inform the first officer whom he should meet. The body was at once taken to Station 9, and by the direction of Coroner Allen was delivered to Undertaker Waterman. The news was received at the chief's office at a little after five o'clock, and measures were at once set on foot for the unraveling of the mystery. The first fact ascertained was that the boy's name was Millen. Information had been given at Station 6 in South Boston that Horace H. Millen was missing. The description given of him coincided exactly with the appearance of the murdered child. The size, age, colors of hair and eyes and dress were exactly alike, and when the coroner waited upon the bereaved parents, and gave a minuter description than had previously been given, the fact was clear. 
The boy had not been seen since ten o'clock in the forenoon, at which time he was at play with his mates at the corner of Dorchester and Eighth Streets. He did not come home to dinner, and as the hours went by, without his making an appearance, his parents became more and more alarmed, and were preparing to fear the worst when the awful tidings reached them. This much ascertained, of course, the next question had to do with the murderer. Here there was nothing to guide the inquirer except mere guesswork. It seemed to be the impression among the detectives that no person of sane mind could have committed the murder, so inhumanely cruel, so unnecessary to the execution of any intent were those horrid mutilations. A lunatic, possibly, might take delight in such barbarity, but another explanation seemed more probable. Someone recollected a horrible tragedy enacted about two years ago in Chelsea, which those who had read at the time must certainly recall now. Indeed, one could hardly soon forget a crime so outrageous. An East Boston boy was enticed from his home and taken to the seclusion of Powderhorn Hill, where he was found tied fast to a tree and cut and stabbed so terribly that after the most excruciating suffering he died within a very short time. The fiend who perpetrated this diabolical deed was a boy named Pomeroy, who was tried, convicted, and sentenced to two years at Westboro. The similarity of the two murders was so great that it seemed almost a logical conclusion that they were the work of one and the same hand. These were the impressions which prevailed soon after the discovery of the murder. Late at night of the day of the commission of the crime, Sergeant Lucas and Patrolman Adams of Station 6, South Boston, arrested Pomeroy and locked him up to answer to a charge of willful and deliberate murder. The next day, Detective Woods took Jesse to the ware-rooms of the undertaker, where had been placed the remains of the millen boy. Jesse was put in a position so he could look upon the body of his victim. He turned his head from the sight, became pale, and trembled. Several questions were asked the prisoner, in substance, as follows. "'Were you acquainted with this little boy?' "'Yes, sir, I was,' replied Jesse. "'Did you cause his death?' "'I suppose I did, sir.' "'How did you get the blood from the knife? Did you wash it off?' "'No, sir. I kept sticking it in the mud until it was clean and there was no blood on it.' At the conclusion of the interview, Pomeroy was taken to the Suffolk County Jail on Charles Street, Boston, to await the action of the coroner's jury. The preliminary inquest, commonly known as The View, was held at Undertaker Waterman's, under the supervision of Coroner Allen. The jury was composed of the following named gentlemen. William P. Wentworth, foreman, Benjamin Brackett, Byron Lord, S. D. Waugh, J. F. Pond, and G. W. Downs. The investigation revealed only what has been previously stated, but it seemed to be the impression of the jury 
that the wounds about the heart were inflicted in the way of torture. The little boy's hands were badly cut, from which it was inferred that he had put them up to ward off the strokes of the knife or other instrument, and that his tormentor had rebuked him by an occasional slashing cut. Death, it was thought, was produced by a stab in the neck, which severed the jugular vein, and that the fatal wound was probably not given until the murderer's cruel propensities had been completely cloyed. The public was deeply interested in every detail of the horrible affair, and anxious awaited the result of the inquest. On Tuesday evening, April 29, 1874, the following verdict was rendered by the coroner's jury. That the said Horace Holden Millen came to his death between eleven o'clock in the afternoon and five o'clock in the afternoon of Wednesday, the 22nd of April, 1874, from loss of blood and injuries received in the neck and chest which injuries were produced by some sharp or cutting instrument. And the jury further find, upon the testimony before them, that they have probable cause to believe that said murder was committed by one Jesse Harding Pomeroy. The verdict was very warmly endorsed by the public. It should be stated that, at the inquest, Pomeroy accounted for his whereabouts on the day of the murder, he said he had never seen the millen boy until he was brought before the body. He also denied that he had made a confession. Meanwhile, the funeral of the murdered boy had taken place. Reverend Mr. Rand officiated. The remains were taken to Wiscasset, Maine, and buried. The fellow workman of Mr. Millen gave him a purse of fifty dollars, and the officers attached to Station 6, South Boston, presented the grief-stricken parents with a hundred and fifty dollars in money. An attendant at the inquest thus described Pomeroy. He sat quite unmoved in his chair, telling his story without embarrassment. He is a boy a little more than five feet high, slim, straight, and when standing with his face averted, presents a very good appearance. It is his face that tells the story of his life. To one who has studied the human countenance, a glance is sufficient. He sees in a moment how it was possible for him to perpetrate the outrages for which he was first taken into custody, and can readily believe him guilty of the horrible murder of which he is now charged. The cast of the right eye has nothing to do with this impression. They are wicked eyes, sullenly, brutishly wicked eyes and as in moments of wandering thought, the boy looks out of them he seems one who could delight in the writhings of his helpless victims beneath the stab of the knife, the puncture of the awl, or the prick of the pin, as he so often has delighted. There is nothing interesting in the look. It is altogether unsympathetic, merciless, but more than all the rest is the sensuality that hangs like lead about those sunken eyes, and that marks every feature and contour of the face. The pallor of his complexion, the lifeless, flabby look that pertains to his cheeks, correspond with this view, and when the boy walks, 
it is not the bold buoyant movement of an innocent lad but apparently the shuffling of one whose thoughts are of the lowest kind on saturday april twenty seventh eighteen seventy four pomeroy was brought before the highland district court boston and charged with the murder of the millen boy he pleaded not guilty and was committed to jail without bail till the next friday may first to await the result of the inquest when he next appeared in the lower court he waived examination and was again committed to jail this time to await the grand jury this body returned a bill of willful murder against him his next hearing was before the supreme judicial court of massachusetts end of chapter two